You're listening to Gifted with Sheila White, a podcast that will inspire you. Its purpose is to uplift and entertain creatives to pursue their passions through their gifts. Sheila White is a film and television producer, author, and entrepreneur. And in each episode, Sheila talks with gifted individuals about their journey and the lessons they've learned. It will also inspire you to make an impact, living your best purpose-driven life with clarity. And now, here's your host, Sheila White. Welcome, welcome, friends, to another episode. I'm so excited you tuned in on today. We've got somebody that is going to really, really inspire you. You know, in a world of change, complexity, and overwhelming competition, we need to hear from someone that's relevant for such a time as this. And my guest today is a catalyst for developing high performance. And I'm very honored and humbled to be able to speak with him today. You know, this is a person today that's going to elevate your understanding of what it means to overcome. And you know what? What he does is he looks to see where God is working and he joins right in. I'm excited to have with me today Elder Dr. James Adams, who is the executive pastor of Christ Center Church in Gary, Indiana. Mr. Adams is um, has a bachelorate in, in business management. And he's also has a master's in psychology and personal adjustment and three uh, and three being his doctorate in theology. That's a lot of things there. Theology, masters, <laughs> masters in and in, um, in psychology. I mean, he's an educated man, but he's also a comedian. So we may have a little fun on on today's show as well. But through his much perseverance and his dedication, Dr. Adams is also a cancer survivor and a stroke survivor. We're going to talk a little bit about that because with everything that he has going on, um, he is an overcomer. Welcome, welcome to the show, Dr. Adams. Thank you so much for having me, Ms. White. Good evening. You know, there is so much that we have to talk about on today. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited, but I, I first want to know, when did you discover your gift as a comedian? Because having all of that wrapped up <laughs> into one, all of these degrees and then a comedian, I mean, it's almost like an opposite. So when did you discover that particular gift of comedy? Um, I discovered it at a very early age. Uh, my nickname for my mom actually was Bozo. <laughs> in reference to Bozo the Clown. Um, and it wasn't because I had big feet or a red nose either. <laughs> so it was simply because I would do, you know, silly things. Uh, I was clinically diagnosed with OCD, um, obsessive compulsive disorder. And um, of course, you know, back in that time, uh, the black household didn't really understand, you know, all of these uh, synonyms and antonyms that we put on children today. So of course, um, at that time, she, my mom didn't understand it, so she just thought I was being, you know, a clown. You know, mm. so she nicknamed me Bozo until she found out that, you know, it was actually a disorder. And my mom, being a southern raised black woman, you know, looked me dead in my face the day I got the diagnosis and said, "Listen, I don't care what that doctor says. You better not be turning on my lights and off, turning on my lights and turning them off twenty or thirty times at one time." You know, um, so I, th I think that scared me more so to now where I have a little more control over my OCD. I was afraid of my mom, you know, beating the black off of me. <laughs> that that that's really funny because um a lot of uh, people will say, Oh, you crazy or or that's they have these names, you know, when we when they don't know how to properly diagnose certain things. Uh, but OCD is a serious situation and a lot of times when you just have this energy People don't know what to do with it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you are right. Moms in the day would use the belt. That was their, the rod of correction. That's what they used to get our attention. And it, most of the time it worked as well. You know, so it's really, really interesting. Um, I, I want to kind of pivot a little bit and talk about um, you as a cancer survivor. Um, that's a various thing. There's a lot of people that are listening today. And there's so many different types of uh, cancers and things out there. How did cancer affect your journey um, in life and what you were doing and, 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 you know, that route that you were going on? Um, cancer itself affected my life on such a scale that it's, it's, it's unfathomable, to be honest with you. Um, mm -hmm. 
I often tell people it's very hard to match my faith or even understand my faith after going through that. Um, I stayed hospitalized for 17 and a half, so almost 18 months doing the entire course of treatment and, you know, being on the verge of death. Um, and I, I love telling this testimony because it truly is a testament to what God can and has done in my life and praying that he'd do the same for others if yes. it be his will. Mm-hmm. Um, what drew me closer to God in that process was the fact that I had to learn that whatever his will was, that's what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, not my, not the doctor's will, not medicine, not the prayers of my mom and family members of the sort. It was whatever God desired to happen in that case, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so getting that understanding, it took me a while because of course I was young, I was 23 years old. So of course wow. it was a lot of, why me? You know, God, why are you doing this to me? Why would you allow this to happen to me? And it took for a, um, a specialist, I had testicular cancer, which is almost equivalent to prostate cancer for an older person, um, an older male at that time. So um, it was something that typically young men don't come back from. It's a rare cancer for young men. And wow. uh, no matter how aggressive the treatment is, most, usually 80% don't recover from it. Okay. And here I am today, you know, um, some almost 14 years later. So knowing that I found out that in the course of the treatment and the course of everything else, it took for a specialist to come in from Sweden. They flew this guy in from Sweden and, you know, he came into my bedroom and he, he kind of scoffed at me and he says to me, Miss White, um, I, I don't know why you Americans spend so much money on medicine and why they spent all this money to fly me here just to tell you that you're going to probably die in three months. Wow. And that was breathtaking you know, to get delivered such news. And I just remember in that moment saying, God, whatever your will is, let your will be done. Mm -hmm. And I prayed and prayed and believed. And I went from 282 pounds to 131 pounds in a matter of two and a half weeks. Wow. Uh, the The doctors at that time said the drastic weight loss itself should have killed me. But, you know, when God has a purpose and a plan, for your life. And he has assignments that you have not completed. I learned at that moment that my purpose was to live and live for God. That was it. Period. Point blank. There was nothing else to it. Nothing outside of that. Nothing major. You know, we get so saved and sanctified. and we, I want to know what my purpose is. And uh, everybody's purpose as a believer is to just live for God. That's it. However, we all have assignments. And I learned in that place that my assignments had not been completed. The task that I was set out to accomplish in life had not been done. So I believed in that moment that God would heal and deliver me, whether it was on this side of the grave, on that side of the grave, I would be healed and delivered. And I accepted that. So then when the nurses would come in for my treatment and things of that sort, um, I would say I had victory. So they'd say, well, you know, Mr. Adams, you have cancer, so you can't do this. I said, no, I don't have cancer. I have victory. And they thought I was crazy. They thought I had lost my mind. They started having psychologists and psychiatrists come in, neurologists. They're like, this dude is losing it. You know, he doesn't understand the, you know, the the the, the veracity diagnosis. of yeah. yeah, his diagnosis. So, you know, let's get him some help. And I, I would tell the psychologist, the psychiatrist, the neurologist, hey, I, I don't have cancer. I know what you guys say, but I'm going to say that I have victory. And again, here I am almost 14 years later being victorious. You know, I go every six months to get checked up. And, you know, it's been every six months um, since then that, you know, cancer has not returned. So I'm so grateful for that. Wow. You know, that is so amazing. That is a testimony. That is a testimony, especially when there's so many people that don't have a great outcome, you know, from that type of cancer. And then to be so young. Um, and to have that type of cancer, which is a whole nother mystery within itself, you know, and you talk about, you know, God, um, you know, your assignment, you have an assignment in things. And a lot of times people don't understand their assignment. They, they come to God and they're just like, okay, God, I'm here. And they're attached to God for the benefits. They think now I'm here and, and life is going to be what it's going to be. And then when the benefits stop coming in and the benefits of health or wealth or whatever it is, then they detach themselves. God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. Why me? But you understood your assignment. And that was to hold on to God's unchanging hand, no matter what. And I think that's so important and so key. Just affirming that you have the victory. 
that in and of itself baffled the mind of the medical professionals that you were working with because they're like, well, something is, they said, we're clearly looking at the x-rays. We know what's going on. Maybe it's affecting his mental at this point, but not understanding that, that God was infusing you with his spirit and infusing you with the faith that could not be deterred. And that went so high in the spirit to the devil couldn't clock it. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's important. If I I can be totally candid and transparent, um, I really, I really want to help somebody. On yes. this evening, for me, Miss White, there's really no easy way to say it. I, I understood that cancer was from God. It was from God, and and truth be told, um, I was on the Chicago Police Force at the time, and you know we were getting involved in some ungodly things, and you know you you get uh, with a group of people, and they kind of change your mindset and idea. Of course, when I got on the force, I was, oh man, I want to go out and you know change the community, I'm gonna change the world. You know, me being one officer, and I got in and found out that that wasn't everybody else's plan, and that wow. wasn't everybody else's plot. So got hooked up with some of my superiors and um, who are you know sitting in jail to this day, mm-hmm. and um, we were, as I said, doing some you know illegal things when it yeah. came to um, operating under the badge. You know we were mm-hmm. uh, um, operating with drug dealers, helping them yeah. do things that, that we shouldn't have been doing. Just a disgrace to the badge, and I can honestly say yeah. that today. Yeah. When I was young, I was impressionable. You know, I thought this was my way of being able to, you know, make it up to sergeant or lieutenant. So, of course, I went along with the program. Everybody else was doing it. It was easy to just get involved in. However, um, when cancer struck my body mm-hmm. and I had to go to court, you know, because I was facing 30 years in jail. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I could have been locked up with the rest of the guys. The judge looked at me with my medical records in his hand. He said, Mr. Adams, there's no sense in me even charging you or sentencing you. The doctors have already given you a death sentence, so you're going to die in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And when wow. I tell you, that shook my entire world. Now, this is the second time that I've been told that I'm going to die. You know, I got a specialist that told me this, and I got a judge that told me this. So death got, it has to be imminent <laughs> at this point. You know, it's, I'm praying that nobody else the third time tells you, they say the third time's a charm. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm like, okay, well, you know, the judge has said it. But just to say that all of that happened, I believe it was of God because when your assignments are not finished, God has a way of stepping in and pulling you into a place to where you have to depend solely on him. You have to trust in him when you can't trace him. You have to Mm -hmm. believe on him when it seems unbelievable. You have to see that it's possible when it seems to be impossible. You Mm -hmm. have to see what you can't see. And Mm -hmm. I I truly believe And some people say, oh, well, God wouldn't inflict you with cancer. I I beg to differ because when he has an assignment for you to finish and you're going outside the course. Now look at Jonah, the story of Jonah. Um, He could allow the the belly of the fish to consume Jonah. Yes. Yes. But he didn't. Mm -hmm. What he did was he allowed Jonah to come to himself. So he allowed Jonah to be in his cancer moment as I I equate that to myself. And Mm -hmm. Jonah had to really realize like, okay, God, you're doing something here. Let me get out of the way. Let me get out of the way. And Jonah got spit out on dry land. And he goes forth and he tells the people, Nineveh, what, what thus saith the Lord. He was still angry and upset about it. But let me tell you today, I am not angry, nor am I upset yeah. about God inflicting me or afflicting me with cancer. Because David said it best in the 176th Psalm. He said, I was glad that I was afflicted. But it was in my affliction that I learned the statutes of God. And that's the very place where I've learned that God is a healer. He's a deliverer. And um, when you seek him diligently, he will come to your rescue. And I know that we want to say that God doesn't mess with free will. True. Mm-hmm. However, God will freely, notice what I said, God will freely yeah. move yeah. everything else that has, that has, you know, that he has dominion over and that's under his control right. to make all roads lead back to him. So mm-hmm. when you get through running, You'll run right into his arms anyhow. So you may as well just go ahead and surrender. That's amazing. Understanding your assignment and knowing the why. Um, because like I said, if the people don't know the why, they just think that they've been 
uh, dealt a bad hand that, you know, this is happening to me. And that it, why why is it happening to me? And they feel uh, just defeated. You know, they feel like they that, you know, life is not worth giving. And a lot of people do give up when they hear the C word cancer. They just think that is a death sentence automatically. But there are so many people um, that have survived and a lot of people that are listening today that are survivors. You know, they did the right thing. One question I want to ask you is about when you what's one thing you wish you knew before um, you started the treatment? Because a lot of times people are knowing either I'm going to get it cut out or burned or whatever, and they just don't know the, the journey that they have to go through. So what was something that you wish you knew then before starting the treatment of cancer? Um, I would definitely say the one thing that I most certainly wish I had have known mm -hmm. was the cause and the effect of chemo and radiation. You know, mm -hmm. I think the medical system does a horrible job of explaining all the, you know, symptoms and illnesses side that you may suffer. Yeah, you know, the side effects of, of that. Um, I, I believe it. it was at one point where I felt like the chemo and the radiation was going to kill me faster than the cancer. Wow. You know, um, wow. And, and I was like, I don't even want it any longer. You know, mm. just, 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 and there were times where the morphine and any other drug that they gave just didn't do anything. It just mm. didn't do anything. And I, I mean, the pain would radiate from the tip of your toes to literally your tongue. Yeah. And it, you just ache all over. And all you can do is whimper and wince and moan and cry. And I was on the cancer ward and, you know, it was not funny, but when we would we would have this saying that, well, when you hear someone stop crying, that means that they're gone. Uh, so as, as long as you were crying and whimpering and wincing, then we knew that you were still yet amongst us. But when we no longer heard you, mm -hmm. okay, they checked out, and then you would see that bed rolling down the hallway with the sheet over it, and you would understand that okay, that person made their transition. Um, but I, I wish I had have known um, the brevity of the effects and i still deal with some of the effects to this day from it and this is you know again almost 14 years later so um if i hadn't known then i probably would have opted to just to just deal with it you know and and, and i'm crazy enough to believe now that you know uh, god's healing would have still taken place without chemo without radiation wow you know what's been one of the most significant things or changes that you see in yourself now um that you're cancer free i mean that's a big story, a big testimony. And, and and so what would you say is the most significant change? I mean, I know in lifestyle, people say, I eat this way, I exercise all these things. But for you, what was that most significant change now since you're cancer free? Well, I've always been a fat kid. <laughs> so <laughs> I definitely... <laughs> Here comes the comedy now, folks. Here comes the... <laughs> so, I, you know, everybody like, you know, you got to change your eating. You can't do this. I said, listen, if the doctors told me I had to leave pork chops alone, I'd die today. <laughs> I would literally, they could just go ahead and take my life right now. Um, so I haven't changed any eating habits. I, I, I don't work out. Um, I actually read a study that said people that work out uh, die quicker than people like the, than the couch potato and yeah. they gave a very medically you know sound uh, uh, um, explanation in regards to it. they said you know because you sweat you give up so many nutrients of your body when you work out that mm. the person is just sitting on the couch all the time they're not giving up those things so that the body holds it and the body you know stores that and it's able to you know strive longer so uh, I, I like to say I don't work out for medical purposes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I want to live a little longer so you guys can have it, enjoy it, you know, um, and enjoy it. And, and, and I'll pray for you, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, but what it did change, however, it changed my mindset, Miss White. It really, really did. When yeah. I tell you, I do not allow anything to rent, lease, or occupy the space of my peace outside of me. I tell you, it gives me great joy to go to sleep at night knowing that whatever I have no control over, I don't worry about it. I don't care. I have no concern about it. I truly take to heart the scripture where it says, take no care for tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Yeah. And, I, and I, I live by that. You know, and a lot of people think, oh, man, you know, you're kind of just living, you know, uh, recklessly. I've had some pastor friends tell me, you're living recklessly. No, I'm living at peace. Because I don't want to allow anyone to disturb my peace, to destroy my peace, or to upset it. And stress is the fastest um, 
reason why cancer will come back. So I choose to live stress-free. You know, whatever I have no control over, God is in control of everything. That's so right. if I can if I can entrust him to do that and to to take care of me, then I may as well just let him have it all. I remember one time um in the course when I, I got healed and I was living and I um I went and bought me a car, you know, just just getting back into the workforce and everything. And um I had felt behind on my payments. Yeah. And I was like four months, right? So the uh, car company, they called me and they said, you know, uh, Mr. Adams, you're four months behind on your payments. You know, um, would you like to make a payment today? So I said, well, if I'm four months behind, why do you think that I want to make a payment today? I didn't call you. You called me. So she kind of chuckled. She said, okay, well, I'll give you that. However, you know, we need to get a payment from you before we have to repossess your vehicle. I said, well, I read the contract. She said, okay. I said, and the contract says that I have 60 months to pay you guys. So I don't know why you're calling me. We're only four months in. I tell you what, call me back in month 59 if I haven't made a payment. We'll talk to you. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) But I tell you, that lady, she laughed so hard. She said, now, I've heard so many excuses as to why people haven't paid, but this is the first. So I'm going to go ahead and disconnect the call. You have a nice day. Wow. Uh, I, I ended up actually, you know, getting back on top of it. But it was just that, that, that. Yeah, I, hey, if you guys come and get it, you come and get it. You can't take my joy. You know, mm-hmm. you can't take my peace. A car and a house and things of that sort, um, they, they won't disturb my joy. And I, I, I did a personal study with some of the people that live on Lower Wacker Drive in Chicago, Illinois. Um, you know, the transients, as we call them, the people yes. that are less fortunate or homeless. And I found out, Miss White, that these are some of the most freest people in the world. They don't worry about what they have to eat because somebody gives them food. Somebody brings them blankets down there. Somebody mm-hmm. gives them tents. Someone gives them socks. Someone gives them underclothes. You know, mm-hmm. somebody provides for them. And God sees fit to that. God sees fit to allow churches and ministries to take these people the things, the necessities that they need to live. They don't have to worry about any bills. They don't have to go and punch anybody's clock. They don't have to do nothing but just if they wake up, hey, I'm out here and I'm living. And I, I've adopted that mindset. Now, I'm not living on the street and nor am I living in the cardboard refrigerator box. However, uh, I'm grateful for what I am living in and where, you know what I'm able to do in life. But if it's all taken away from me, to God mm-hmm. be the glory. And, you know, it's it's because even the sparrows and, and the cattle on a thousand hills, God provides. He provides, mm-hmm. you know, you see little squirrels running and different animals out there and somehow or another they're surviving. And nobody is necessarily feeding every single animal that's wild out there, but they they're surviving, you know, and things like that. And um, it is amazing how God does provide for his creatures, you know, not only in the animal kingdom, but in the human kingdom as well. Um, people will give. There are, like you said, churches that will provide things for people that are less fortunate. And then sometimes people will just see somebody and just give them something if they're on the street or whatever. So people's needs are being met and things like that. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, our heart goes out to those that um, feel like the world is so cold that nobody cares, that nobody cares and things like that. Because um, we know, like you said today, that uh, Jesus is there and whatever his will is, is his will. So don't worry as you said, don't stress, live stress-free, you know, in the sense of don't let people worry you, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, 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 you know, don't give, you know, people have issues and things like that. And they're looking for somebody to give them a tissue for their issues. You know what I'm saying? Because they want to have a pity party, but you just have to realize that you just have to um, do what you can do and, and don't worry about the rest. You know what I'm saying? Um, because God will provide. And it's important for people to understand to go to God, to pray to God, to rely on God because he can send help. And sometimes he's just trying to get your life to turn around and you have to hit that place, that rock bottom place or go through something like that to for him to get your attention. You know, I've heard of people going to prison and then they find Christ in prison and their life is changed around. So by any means necessary, whatever he has to do, that's his business. You know, he can do and things like that. Now, I, I want to I know that you have in your story, you've had a stroke as well. And I'm wondering, did this come after the cancer or this come before? Because being in the as an officer, that's a stressful job in and of itself. But when did these as a stroke survivor, when did that happen? And how did you how did your family, um, uh, um, you know, deal with that diagnosis of a stroke? Absolutely. Um 
I, I want to just go back a little bit. You said something about people that go to prison. I always have to, you know, add my correction in and people can choose yes. to, you know, live with what they want to live with when it comes to that. I don't think you can go anywhere and find Christ. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Christ is omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's yes. omniscient. So of course you can't go anywhere and find him. However, you can find yourself in a position to where you become closer to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I mean, what I mean by that is, of course, you know, we get into some tumultuous situations in life and we do some crazy things, some asinine things that will put us in situations that will cause us to draw nigh unto thee. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if you ever drunk or, you know, uh, had a night of, you know, a, a stupor where you drank a little bit too much. And I'm sure someone listening probably has. And yeah. it was in that moment where you had drank too much and you found yourself praying to the porcelain God, you know, and mm. throwing up all of yesterday's dinner yeah, <laughs> where you yes. said, God, if you make me feel better, <laughs> I promise, you know, this vows that we've made to God in the midst of our foxhole prayers, mm. um, God still holds us accountable. Mm. And in that, it's not that you found God at the toilet. <laughs> it's not that yeah. you found Jesus at the bottom of the bottle, but it was the situation that you found yourself in made you draw nigh to him and made you realize that you need him more than you thought you did. Mm. Um, so I just I just want to piggyback off of that and 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 add a little more insight to that because I hear people say that all the time. Oh, I went to prison and I found God. And, and you can't say God delivered me, mm. right? You can't say God helped me. You can't say Christ, I need you to do something extraordinary for me. And then when He does something that's out of your comfort zone, we don't want to think it's God. Mm. Wow. Good. So the, good. the same the same person that's praying to come off of crack cocaine. Okay. So now you're in prison and you're there five years. If they mm-hmm. didn't enough time to get clean, I don't know what is. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you ask God to, to bring you off of it. Now, this is the means and the route that he decided to take you on to bring you out of that addiction. Because if he put you in treatment and allowed you to go there for 30 days, we know as a psychologist, I know that 30 days is not enough time. So you're going to go in there and the whole time because you have an addictive mindset, you're only thinking about when I get out, my, my, my system is going to be clean and those drugs are going to make me feel 10 times better because now they're going into a clean system. Yeah, you go yes. back out and you get high, and that high is just as good as the first time. So mm-hmm. some some addicts go in, they check themselves in just for that purpose because they, they they've been getting highs for so long that they can't even feel the effects of the drug anymore. So they go in just to clean their system out and detox, so they can come out and get high and feel that feeling of euphoria all over again. Wow. But if God does it, when God allows for us to go in situations, which is why I said God allowed for me to have cancer, because if it wasn't for cancer, my stupid behind would be sitting behind bars right now talking mm-hmm. about some oh, how did I get here well we know how you got here sir <laughs> oh, yeah. let me let me remind you you know and, and it was so crazy because I was asking God Miss White to deliver me because I was doing these things and I was pastoring I would get I would leave the police force and I would go to church Sunday morning and stand behind the pulpit and preach Jesus to people I would go and tell people about the love of God and what you should not be doing and how you shouldn't be living. And the whole time I couldn't wait to get out of church because my phone was blowing up with drug dealers and gangbangers that were saying, hey, I need you to come move this or take me here or get this person out of jail and do that. And here it was. God stepped in. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I didn't I didn't find Christ because I had cancer. Mm. I found out that I needed him more. And I needed to draw closer to him and let him be the captain of my life, you know. So, like I said, I'm sorry I didn't mean to take a tangent there. But no, that that this. that's very important for people to understand because that's what a lot of people think, and you we hear that a lot. I found him. I found him. He was never lost, you know. He was he, he was never lost, and things like that, mm-hmm. you know. As 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 a psychologist, and you know, with your background with so many different degrees. Um, I know that relationships is a really important focus, you know, of your expertise and your background and things like that. When did this topic become so meaningful to you? Because, um, like I said, going through all of these different type of treatments and then having a stroke and working in the force and having some people that were some, you know, people on the force doing some things that were not didn't have scruples, so to speak, you know, and then going through the journey. Now you're in the pulpit and then still doing some things that were. Um, didn't have the, the scruples behind the pulpit, so to speak. When did relationships become really, really meaningful to you for you to pick up this area as far as expertise is concerned? I'll tell you. Um, let me let me 
answer your first question about the stroke because mm -hmm. that's another yeah. testimony itself. Mm -hmm. um, it, the stroke was two years ago. Uh, oh. I was doing yard work and I was, I felt fine. I, you know, I was, you know, doing a lot. I was getting off of work to come home and do more work because we were trying to prepare for um, a 4th of July extravaganza that we were having at my home. And we have a big, huge yard, like an acre of land and stuff. So we was preparing for that. And I had to do a lot of land. I did like $20,000 worth of landscape by myself, along with mm -hmm. uh, my son and um, one of the deacons from the church. They was along helping me. Actually, they were here the day that I had the stroke um my wife and, and children at the time and in that place i was out in the backyard and i'm just working it was hot it, it, it was hotter than four fat women in an empty buffet fighting over the last piece of chicken i'm telling right, you right right <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was hot outside and i tell you i'm like golly but I was mustering the the strength to, to go forth and do it because i needed to get it done that was the ocd in me i got it i got to yeah. do it i got to do it i got to yeah. do it and I took off to start walking towards the house, and that was it. My entire left side went completely numb. I couldn't move, and it took for my son and the deacon of the church to bring me in the house. And then I just felt my face literally um, start to slag. And yeah. that's when they called the ambulance, and the ambulance came and um, got to the hospital, and they gave me a blood uh, a, a blood blocker medication that will uh, release any kind of buildup in the uh, a blood unblocker i'm sorry yeah. um, that would release any kind of blockage in the you know veins or anything like that mm -hmm. so they gave it to me right before they took me into the mri okay and as soon as they took me into the mri they were able to watch this medication clear the blood clot that was getting ready to travel into my brain wow I could have literally died within moments. So they were able to watch the blood clot be cleared in the very moment where it could have reached my brain and just took me out. I would have had a brain aneurysm and died right there in the hospital. Wow. And they told me, this is, this is the testimony. They told me that it would probably take me three years to get at least 80% of my faculties back on my left side. When I tell you, it took seven days. Oh my! Seven days. That's a miracle. That I, I'm telling. I'm, I'm fighting back tears right now because I remember mm -hmm. the day. I kept telling the church and I kept telling my family. I said, "I'm going to be up and I'm going to be walking around soon. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be back up. This is this is not going to take me out. This is no. I, I can't live like this. I got to go to work. I got to do this. I got to. I got to live. I can't. Cancer didn't kill me. I'm not going to let a stroke kill me. I don't, I don't believe that God." Will let a stroke kill me. I'm praying that God, please don't let this be the end of me. And when I say kill me, you know, anybody that knows me knows I'm a busybody. I got to be doing something. So yeah. if, if I had to sit around and depend on people, you may as well just go ahead and bury me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember I told the church, I said, by this weekend. So I, I went to the hospital on a Saturday and I told them by the next Saturday, I got out of the hospital that Monday. And it was, I was supposed to do physical therapy and all that. I said, I don't want it. I don't want physical therapy. I don't want it. I believe God. I'm going to trust God. Said, and this, this is battle between me and God. Mm -hmm. And I said, God, you got to do this. Don't do it for me, but do it for the unbelievers. Do it for the people at the hospital. Just yeah. use me. Just use me as a vessel. Yeah. And I would try to walk around a little bit and I'm sitting there slobbing on myself because I couldn't control my face and uh, my lips and my muscles. Just, just It was horrible. And I sat up Saturday morning on the foot of my bed, on the side of my bed, and I, I kicked my feet around. And I said, God, let today be the day. Let today be the day. And I began to move. And when I tell you the idea of standing in faith, I'm sorry. Wow. Um, that's, a big, that's a miracle. Yeah. The idea of standing in faith, that's really what it was. Because I, I literally had to stand up on faith because I, I wasn't able to stand without a cane or a crutch or something. And I stood up and it was like a rush. I felt all of the power coming back to my extremities. And I called my wife in at the time. And I said, come here, come here, come here. Because she comes running in the room. And she's like, oh my God, what are you doing? Sit down, sit down. I said, no, I'm okay. 
She said, no, you're not okay. You're crazy. You're not okay. I said, no, I'm okay. I said, look. And I started moving my left foot. And I started moving my left arm. And I started running in place. And I began to shout all throughout the house. And oh, my God, I couldn't wait to go back to the hospital Monday. And I went back to the hospital Monday. And the doctor himself said, if it wasn't for the fact that I was the one that treated you, I would say you never had a stroke. Wow, that's a miracle. What God does is he doesn't leave residue, he leaves evidence. Mm -hmm. Stains leave residue. God is not a stain maker. He's a stain remover. So he leaves evidence that he was there to remove the stain. And I'm so grateful even to this day that he did just that. So that segues into why relationships are so important to me. Um, my mom passed away this next month will be six years and she passed of dementia mm -hmm. and growing up, you know, the youngest of four boys, I really felt like my mom could have did so much better raising me. I wanted to play the piano. I wanted to tap dance. Now, mind you, I was probably every bit of 200 pounds at the age of eight and talk about tap dance and anything. I'm like, you're not going to tear up my floors, chopping your heavy self around. <laughs> <laughs> with some tap shoes, let alone <laughs> with regular shoes on. <laughs> so she didn't put me in tap class. So I kind of despised my mom for a little while. And it, it just broke my heart because I'm like, mom, you know, you could have did so much better. So when she got sick and we had to take care, take care of her and I became her power of attorney, um, I began to realize that she gave us the best that she had. Yeah. Her best wasn't what I wanted it to be. It wasn't good enough for me. However, it was the best that she had. Mm -hmm. So it made me understand the power of relationships to a different degree, Miss White. It made me look at people on a different level when we put so many limitations on them. We put mm -hmm. so many expectations on them. And the reality of it is they can only give you what they have. And if what they have isn't enough for you, that's okay. But love them anyhow. Love them anyhow. And I, I found out that we ourselves create an imagery of God. We, we, we create this God in our mind, this God of love, this God of comfort, this God of joy, this God of peace, you know, this God of no suffering. We, we create that image of God instead of realizing, and this is very profound, and mm -hmm. somebody can use it if they want to, so I'll give it to you guys for free. Mm -hmm. So the image that we create of God is what we do on our own mind. However, we fail to realize that we're created in his image. So we don't move according to how he wants us to move. We want to. We want God to be our puppet, and he's not. So in that, it drew me closer to having an understanding of relationships and the power thereof, understanding your worth, understanding the value that you possess, and being comfortable with what you have, owning your true self, and not allowing anyone to own you. Relationships is about compromise. It's about companionship. It's about you know uh, uh, being able to comprehend the things of each other and going forth and saying, hey, listen, I love you enough to whereas I'm going to become what you need, not what you want. Uh, uh, when we uh, when we when we learn in the place of becoming a need opposed to a want, watch this. I want to change daily. I'm sitting here doing this interview yeah. and I want to, I want to, I want a whopper so bad. I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's them fat boy syndromes, right? And like, I, I want it so bad. I've manifested the taste in my mouth. I'm about to start looking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, looking yeah. at my fingertips in a second, yeah. right? Like yeah. I'm already eating it. And that's what I want. But however, when the interview is done, watch this, Miss White, when the interview is done, I may no longer want a whopper. I might mm -hmm. say I want to eat. I, I, I want an Italian sausage or something. Like yeah. That, right. Yeah. So wants change all the time, mm -hmm. but a need remains consistent. Mm -hmm. I know that I need air to breathe. Yes. So if you try to take that away from me, I will fight to the death to make sure I get it. Wow. So if I learn how to practice that in relationship, not just intimate relationships, but work relationships, uh, uh, friendships, all those things that equate to you having to deal with another being. Yeah. If I learn to become what it is that you need, then you won't dismiss me because you don't want me anymore. That's good. You, you may That's not good. want my behaviors. You may not want you know the issues that I bring to the table, but you'll realize that 
I'm an, I'm an asset. I'm a necessity in your life. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you're going to become whatever it is or whatever you have to do to fulfill that need. And I hope the people are listening to that. No, I just hope the people are listening to that because when you say wants versus needs, um, it's so important. And you, 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 you broke it down so eloquently for people to, I mean, you just broke it down like a fraction, seriously, you know, for people to understand that and wanting more, you know, being more of their true self, you know, which is so, so, so important. And, you know, when you think about it, you know, as far as when we're talking about relationships and things like that, people wanting to be their self, there's a want, there's a need. What should the driving force in the relationship be? Because they're coming from different point of views, you know what I'm saying? And so what is the driving force? What should that be? This person has a want, this person has a need. How can that merge? How can that come together? What should be the force, the driving force to to merge that relationship? Being honest. So watch okay. what happens. In, in, okay. in this society now, um, this is the way we date, right? So what I'll do is when I meet a woman and that woman meets me, we become you know friends, we start yeah. dating, we, we discover that we like each other. So we mm-hmm. date and we we don't we don't court, right? Let me let me let me make that plain real quick for those that may be listening. Dating means just that. It means that we are in the transitional phase for me and for you to see if we're somebody that we want to be monogamous with. Okay. So if I'm dating you, I could be dating you and 15 other people. This is this is this is my process of being able to see who I want to be with. And I have to be honest. A lot of times people are not honest about that. They say, oh, yeah, we're dating. And they give the impression or the illusion that it's just me and you when it's me and you, your mama and your cousin, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's everybody else that this yeah. individual is dating. But then they hide behind lies. So now you start the relationship off with lies because you've given this person the impression that it's just you and them. However, yeah. if you take that, what happens in that place is. After month one, 30 days, you open up a little bit more to this person. 60 days, you open up a little bit more. 90 days, you open up more. 120 days, you open up more. So by the time you get to 360, you open up some more. And now this individual who you've opened up to has to get used to you at this state opposed to who you introduced them to. Ouch. Instead, what we should do is be our whole self up front. I'm not going to give you me in increments. I'm going to give you all of me right now, right now here today, so that you can make an executive decision that I am somebody you want to move forward with collectively. So when we don't do that, what happens is when I get into month three, the 90 day mark, and I meet Boomquisha, who I was, instead I was introduced to, to Tiffany. I'm like, wait, where, where this, who, who is this lady? where'd you come from and then the inference is on the person to be okay with you making this huge transition within this time and it's unfair to the people this is why relationships you know fail drastically as though they do because we're we're dating wrong so if i date you i get to the place of saying okay now i want to court you meaning that i want to pursue you and you alone that's it. Now, I'm talking about intimate relationships now. Okay. So I want to date. After I've dated you, I want to court you and I want to pursue you and just you. And I hope that you want to just pursue me. Right. Mm-hmm. And after that comes the engagement. And after the engagement comes marriage. Unfortunately, we think that the end goal is to be married. Mm-hmm. That's not the end goal. The end goal is to die married to the same person that you got married to. That's mm-hmm. the end goal. So once we understand those uh, 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 concepts of relationship, I believe yeah. that it will strengthen our, 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 our walk with each other. We will have more tolerance for each other because I, I got a chance to view you up front. You gave me the opportunity to process who you are, what you are, what you have to offer, and allowed me the opportunity to fortify my decision by saying, yes, I'm willing to deal with that opposed to introducing yourself to me in increments and now we're in five months and you're like okay well you should be okay with who i am today and i'm like wait a minute that but that's not who you that's not the avatar that i met you know five months ago yeah you know that, that, that that's 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 not the version of you that i met five months ago however mm-hmm. that's not to say that people don't change because they do mm-hmm. How, but but when we change and we have been totally honest 
with each other up front. These are my flaws. These are my characteristics. These are my character traits. This is my likes and my dislikes. Having the time to actually converse. We don't do that in the dating process. I like you. You like me. Circle yes or no. We circle yes. And here we go. We go out to the movie. You can't really talk at the movie. So you sit there. You look at this big screen. Y'all might rub each other's arm. Y'all get in the car. You drive her home. And you go about your day. There's no communication there. And then after that, you dated her. You went on one date on Monday. Tuesday, you're moving in together. Wednesday, you're engaged. Thursday, she's pregnant. Friday, y'all breaking up. Saturday, you moved out. Sunday, y'all back in court having a divorce party. And wow. Monday, you back on the market. But what I wanted you to talk a little bit, because, you know, you're a theology, theology person as well. And talk a little bit about communication in the relationship, commitment, compromise, um, those points of view, because it's really important in a relationship and you need these things in, in, a, in a human relationship as well as in Christ. You need a commitment to Christ. You need you need to have communication with Christ. So kind of give us your point of view on these things is relation to Christ and in relation to human in relationships. Perfect. And I'm glad that you said my point of view, because I don't want anybody to think that I'm, you know, a, a guru or anything. And I've, you know, I, I got all the answers to it, but it's solely my point of view. However, um, first off, you have to be committed to the cause. And that cause has to be communicated to you up front. You have to have that communicated to you. It, it's kind of like going into the bank, right? And you want to get a loan. Okay. If they don't communicate to you, the fees, the interest rates, and you just sign on the dotted line and say, oh, okay, cool, yeah, I, I can go ahead and I, I'll take this and I'm okay. Then when you get into the situation where you start realizing, wait, I've been paying on this loan for 24 months and I haven't made a dent in it yet. Oh, that's because you didn't understand that you had 39.99% interest rate. Yes. <laughs> they didn't explain it to you. They have to communicate yeah. the calls to you. And I'll, I'll say this. I, I used to partner with the car dealership selling cars. And it, it, it saddened me. It saddened me when I would watch some of the consumers come in, you know, that just got their first job at McDonald's. They're making maybe $338 a week. You know, so now they get they feel like, OK, well, I, I'm making about fifteen hundred dollars a month. And then you slap them with the four hundred and fifty dollar car note. And they're like, oh, yeah, I could afford that. You know, I had a fifteen hundred dollars, four hundred fifty. That's fine. But you don't explain to them that you're selling them this ten thousand dollar car with the interest rate of twenty nine point nine nine, meaning that in this six years that you're giving them to pay back this ten thousand dollars, they're going to pay back close to thirty grand. And they don't understand that all they see is, oh, I can afford this car note. So the cause has not been communicated to them directly, which causes us to make uninformed, irrational decisions when we deal with people. So yeah. our commitment to the cause, the cause has to be communicated with our relationship in Christ. The cause is there. OK, I don't let me say this. And I, I, I pray that this really reaches the masses yeah. as a pastor of a church, as a doctor of theology. I will say this emphatically. OK. Mm -hmm. I do not serve God because I want his blessings. I do not serve God because I want to go to heaven. I serve God because he is God and that's it. And I want his will to be done in my life. And whatever, whatever his will is, I'm totally fine with it. It is well with my soul. And what I mean by that is if all of my living here in my life on earth turns to God's will, de denying me access into his kingdom, and me living in eternal pits of fire and the hell that we call it, I'm okay with that. And I mean that from my heart. And the reason why I can say that emphatically is because we have done a horrible job when it comes to expressing the, the decision, the commitment that it takes to be a Christian or a believer. So yes. we tell our young children the difference between heaven and hell, Miss White. And we tell them hell is horrible. It's ugly. There's fire and there's brimstone and there's gnashing of the teeth and you cry and you always want something to drink, but you never get it. And you just, you live in this horrible mind state for eternity. And then a child turns around and says, well, what is heaven like? And you say, well, heaven is great. The rivers flow with milk and honey. You know, the roads are paved with gold. It's always howdy, howdy and never goodbye. The sun is always shining. There's no crying. There's no death. There's no envy. There's no jealousy. And you say, well, which one do you choose? Um, I'll take heaven for 100, Alex. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not rocket science. When you yeah. give me these two extremes, 
that are miles and miles apart. So now what you have today is believers, Miss White, that only serve God because they want to go to heaven. Yes. They don't want to go to hell. They only serve God because they want to inherit his blessings. Oh, I want my Abraham inheritance. I, I, I want what God got in store for me. I want to have. Okay, well, when do you serve God just because he's God? Jesus Christ himself served God so much so because that was his father and he wanted his will to be done that he was willing to die. Yes. A gaudy, unpleasurable, unimaginable death. So don't tell me that you only want to serve God because he's going to bless you. You got to take everything that comes along with God being God. This yeah. past Sunday, which was yesterday, I preached a message and the message was titled LGBG, let God be God. Mm -hmm. That's all we have to do. We have to get out of the way and let God be God. So I, I say all that to, to wrap it up. And the fact that the commitment to the cause is God, I trust you. Yes. No, no matter, I, I take my hands off it. I trust you. And I'm communicating my trust to you by showing you that I love you enough to serve you just because you're God. Not for any other reason. If you never give me a house, if you never give me a car, if you never give me, you know, a, a loving family, if you never give me some of the things that we pray for and we ask God for, if you never give me that, I, it's well with my soul. Paul wow. said it best in the New Testament. He said, I've learned in whatever state I'm in, to be content. Because I've learned how to be abased and abound in all things. That whatever state I'm in, I'm, I'm content. Whether I'm hungry, I'm content because God is still in control. If I'm thirsty, I'm content because God is still in control. And that's why commitment is so important in this walk. You have to be committed to the cause. The cause is God himself. I'm so tired of hearing people say, oh, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Oh, child, Jesus loves you. Oh, don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Oh, you're hungry. Jesus loves you. He'll feed you. You can't tell somebody who's starving, whose stomach is touching their back, oh, I'll pray for you and Jesus loves you. No, can you give me some ribs yeah. and some yeah. potatoes, something to put on my stomach to take these stomach pains, these ang yeah. hung anger, hungry pains away? So, and, 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 and I just want to say this, that I know for a fact that Jesus did not love us in that aspect in which we think. Jesus loved God, his father, so much. If you read our favorite scripture that we quote all the time, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus, it didn't say that Jesus gave his own life. It didn't say that Jesus came. And on the cross, Jesus turns around and he says, look, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In other words, you deal with them. These are your people. I'm just doing what you asked me to do. So when we love God enough to sacrifice that aspect of commitment, which is why the Bible has taught us that obedience is better than sacrifice. And I, I say this to the church all the time, that if obedience being, obedience being better than sacrifice, watch this. If you obey God and heed his commandments, that's better than the sacrifice he gave. Well, what are you talking about, Dr. Adams? Did not he sacrifice his son so that we can have life and have it more abundantly? So if my obedience to him is better than the sacrifice of Christ that was on the cross, my God, how much more will God do for me? This is why he says in Malachi, try me in this and see that I will open up a window and pour you out a blessing that you won't have enough room to receive. So many of us are sitting there with the window shut, just praying. Well, I just I just hope that God just go ahead and break this window and just pour in the blessings. No, you got to do your part and open the window. There you go. There you go. That's right. True. True. You know, Dr. Adams, you have so many different degrees and things like that. I mean, in psychology and your doctorate in theology, you know, personal adjustment, all of this education and things like that as as in business management as well, you know, and things like that. How can you help managers to be able to increase productivity? Um, because a lot of people are out there and they're just having trouble with their team. <laughs> you know, they can't get, can't get them to be productive or they're underperforming, you know. So how can you kind of help managers to help their, their members and their team um, that are underperforming to do better as far as on that communication and, and that productivity management side? Oh, I love that question. 
I hope we got time so I can really dive into that uh, <laughs> because there's a lot. And I'll say that from a psychological point of view. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to talk about the Black culture real quick, if that's mm -hmm. okay. Okay, the African-American culture, what we do is we get a little money. We yeah. go and get a business. We get a restaurant. You know, we get a car wash. We get a little clothing store. Uh, we get a landscaping business, whatever that entity may be. And we hire our family. And we have no knowledge of human resources. We mm -hmm. have not trained anybody. We haven't given them any kind of protocol and procedure. We just, we operate out of emotion and feeling. So because I beat Willie in spades last night, Willie doesn't want to show up to work. So now I'm mad with Willie and I'm going to fire Willie, but we're going to steal because when I get off work, and it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You have yeah. to remove the family aspect and the mindset of this is my business. The, 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 the best thing I can help with managers and owners of companies is remove, make yourself an employee. Take yourself from the mindset of I'm the boss. I own this. This is my company. Ain't nobody going to mess up my stuff. Mm -hmm. you know, we have that mentality and we, we, it, it shows. So yes. of course, when you are pointing the finger and you're telling, and I, I can say this as a pastor and as a business owner, I own a yes. trucking company. Yes. Um, you, you tell people, oh, you go do this, you go do that. But when they see you get out there in the trenches with them, let me tell you the amount of respect that they will have for you because they know that not what you only told them to do, you can do it yourself. They have a greater appreciate, appreciation for you. But what we do is we get that complex. And it's not just the African-American culture. It's uh, human beings in, 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 in general because we all want to be in charge. We all want to be the boss. Too many chiefs and not enough Indians. So mm -hmm. as soon as I get a little authority, of course, well, you do this and you do that, opposed to saying, hey, let's do this. Let's operate together. And I utilize, you know, the Bible um, to, 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 to give this idea to make to make it vivid. Here it is. Jesus, he when he fed the 5000, he sat with them. Mm. He took the yeah. fish and the, 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 the five loaves of bread and two fish and he sat with them. He fed them. And there was overflow after he sat with them. What we yeah. want to do, Miss White, is we want to get the fish and the bread, we want to give it to you and send you on your way. Because you're not in my status. Mm. You're not on my level. I own this business. I'm the manager. I'm the supervisor. You have to bow down to me. No, the Bible said, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and render unto God what belongs to God. You are not my God, nor are you my Jesus. You are my brother. You are my sister in Christ. I don't care about titles. I don't care if you're the owner, the operator, the CEO, chief operation officer, whatever. You're still my brother and you're still my sister. Treat me as such. Yes. yes. I, I, can, I can say this directly and emphatically that if people, especially in leadership, learn to adapt that mentality of an employee opposed to being the employer and the, 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 the head honcho in charge, I guarantee you have more of a stronger workforce in your field of operation. Man, and that's powerful. And that's what people want. You know, they want to be more productive. The managers want to do better. The employees want to do better. There's benefits to both sides of that of that poll uh, and things like that. Um, I mean, it's just so much richness that's been spoken on today. I, I'm, I'm hoping that from your testimony, people I heard it, that they're taking heed to it, that they got something from it, because it's really important. Um, the emphasis about, you know, believing in God and whatever it is, is, it is, if it's God's will, that's really key and really important. And I'm glad that you really brought that out and shared your testimony and shared some of the things that are uh, going on in your life. You know, um, folks, we've been talking to Dr. Adams today, Dr. James Adams, who is the who is the pastor of Christ Center Church in Gary, Indiana. Um, there is so much more that we're going to have to have you come back and talk some more, break some more down for the people out there, share some of your story, your testimony, because we know that there's so much more that you all are doing. How can our audience, uh, Dr. Adams, get in contact with you to get some more information about things that are going on at Christ Center Church in Gary? Also, just to be able to uh, get in contact with you for counseling on the psychology end uh, and things along that line. Um, how can our audience get in contact with you to get more information? Uh, they can reach me by email, um, two emails. If you want to reach me in regards to the ministry, um, you can reach me by uh, our church's email, which is R 
R-E-V-D-R-J at yahoo.com. So that's Rev Dr. J at yahoo.com. Um, you can reach me there concerning ministry. Um, for the counseling aspect of things, um, you can reach me at become a better UCS um, at yahoo.com. So that's all one word, become a better UCS at yahoo.com. That's for my private practice, become a better you counseling services. So it's become a better UCS at yahoo.com. And if you want some comedy, you can reach me at Dr. J the comedian at yahoo at, at, at Gmail. I'm sorry, at gmail.com. So that's uh, Dr. J D R J the comedian at gmail.com or you can reach me by phone which is um 815-217-7000 and again that number is 815-217-7000 wow well folks we want to thank you for listening today if you did not hear this entire broadcast um, we want you to visit our website. Dr. Adams's information will be on there. Um, please visit the website at www.road2eternity.net and hear his incredible, incredible story. Also share it, this story with your family and friends. Get in contact with Dr. Adams. Um, there's a lot of comedy that he has. He shared a little bit of it with us today, but his story is so profound. Um, his testimony is profound and he's here to help people. Like I said earlier, he's looking and see where God is working and then that's where he wants to join in. So I want to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Gifted with Sheila White. We hope you understand how your gifts can make an impact on the world. Gifted with Sheila White is produced by Road to Eternity, a film and television production company.